Welcome to Africa on Focus, where we share our success stories. Africa, the continent, the young diaspora, entrepreneurs, influencers, change makers, and so much more. I'm Miss Abba, and this is Africa on Focus, the podcast. Why are we in this, in this, in this thing? Why, 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 why is the hour like this? <laughs> why, why is summertime even a thing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're actually talking about it um they they're thinking about yeah uh, uh, not doing it anymore so yeah it's kind of like stopping yeah. the summertime stuff right it's even it's even doing something with curfew and whatever but that's that's for our news flash what we're going to discuss yes um let's just get our special guest here uh do you know anything about african arts um not much no. to the let's say technicalities and details of it no just what we what we have been reading from uh from, uh, our, from our newsflash, newsflash right? and yeah. just independent research pretty much but yeah. other than that not so much i know there's money in it <laughs> it can be but yeah. it takes a lot of time right i know um i do know that it's 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 a world it's an industry that if you don't know it you just don't know it you probably mm -hmm. don't value it yep but but art i mean the whole thing behind me is even art yeah is it an art you right. know what i mean it's this invincible uh, strength that we sometimes just don't seem to think is relevant. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And here, um, you know, here in in the West where we are, you have of course uh, a lot of investment that revolves around art, and, mm -hmm. and uh, it would be nice to also see that um, you know portrayed in to in Ghana, African you know, art. All of, yeah, African yeah. art. And um, so with that said, I promised to get somebody on that, you know, could uh, give us an idea of what African art is like. And of course, he's an artisan, as I would call uh, call that. And um, just help us to explore this whole world because we don't know a thing. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> well, we open to learn. Um, yes, yep. absolutely. I'm definitely open to learn. Um, I really um also want to to know more about what is to know yeah <laughs> all right so here with me on the show who i have is a, a very special guest uh ghanian and based in uh london town he is an artisan and he's also the founder of adam squared which is a collective and gallery aimed to promote uh artisans specifically black artisans. Mm -hmm. And I would really like to know why this thing is so important and why Africans, and of course his journey, yeah. um, um, exploring this uh, world that is quite fresh and young. He's making major moves. I do believe, and I saw some, one of the moves that he did was one with Converse, you know, all of these prominent uh, youth culture brands and uh, things like that. Mm -hmm. And you know what, let's, let's get him on to talk to him about all that is uh, revolving around uh, African art. Let me just see if he's there. He's definitely in the background studio. Let's uh, let's give a virtual applause for Kwesi uh, <laughs> 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 Adom. I think that's uh, um, getting back into art in the coming weeks, um, coming months as well. Yeah. But for today, it's just been a chill day, just relaxing, you know, yeah. watching Netflix and. Yeah, nothing much really. <laughs> what you watching on Netflix? What, what, what you Netflix? Exactly, what you watching on Netflix? Could you share with us? Actually, not not Netflix. Actually, um, was it um BBC, um iPlayer? That was um, Snowfall. Yeah, and I just finished that. Oh yeah. So, what was that? Yeah. Snowfall. Is that a movie or a series? 
It's definitely it's a series. series. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Amazing series, yeah. I, I, I have yet to, to oh. explore that one. Um, I, I was into um, The Shy. So somebody said, okay, if you're into The Shy, then you're definitely going to love uh, Snowfall. So I'm going to explore that. And um, I'm, not, I'm not head of The Shy, actually, but I'll, I'll check it out. Right. Is if, it that, if you're similar to Snowfall, yeah. Right, right. Is it that kind of raw series, a, a bit of... Uh, not entirely crime, but really like based on true stories and, and all of that. Um, well, it was based on the uh, like the drug pandemic in, in Los Angeles mm. at that time. So right. everything to everything revolving around it, and basically the um, main character just building, a, I'll say, an empire surrounding you know the whole drug um, pandemic in yeah. yeah LA. So okay, that was in the eighties. In the eighties, was it? I'm not sure. I think so. 80s. I think yeah, it wasn't eighties. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. of you, we're we're going to check that out. Hopefully. Snowfall, right? Oh, yeah, snowfall. Definitely. You should. You should. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good. It's good to have you here. Um, I mean, the reason why you're here is definitely because um, I stumbled upon you on on Instagram. Uh, basically, <laughs> and um, it was it was a good stumble upon um, mm. because. Yeah. For for us, it was it was we had so many questions relating to art, black art, African art, and um, for us, it was just we couldn't wait to have somebody on that could uh, you know give us a a better idea of the relevance of black art and specifically yeah. uh, that uh, that of Ghana. That is uh, that is really why. So it's a pleasure to uh, again have you uh, have you here. Um, where are you in this place of life? I mean, how has the lockdown been treating you in terms of uh, your creativity and things like that? Um, so, as I said, I've taken a break from um, basically painting. But um, from the start of lockdown, since in London, we've been in lockdown for like 20 years now. We, um, <laughs> I, I was doing my master's back then. Right. So um, I did not really have a lot of um, work to do. I had a lot of time on my hands. So I decided to like fully dedicate my time to um, art and sort of being like almost a full-time artist. So during that period, I would say it was really good for me. So the period, the period from about um, June to maybe the end of 2020 was really good for me because I dedicated all my um, time to painting and I saw the results from it just from that six month period as well and um from well basically start of 2021 um i also have in other interests as well so one of my interests was finance and i was lucky enough to get a job in finance as well so i've been focused on that right a lot more as is um, currently more demanding yeah. so um kind of like the busy period kind of died down as well so now it's um as i said going back to you know spending the little time that i have um, left to push everything into art and you know see what comes out of it as well yeah mm -hmm. got it got it very important finance yeah. Don, donnie's a finance guy i'm a finance guy oh, really? that's true yep an economist oh, okay okay economics has always been hard to me so i just try to avoid <laughs> <laughs> avoid that field yeah i'm just more accounting you know yeah yeah i like that i like the mixing two worlds because you mean uh, I know the the art the art artistic life can be sometimes dreadful in terms of that moment you finally make money. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. is, is that true? Um, I mean, sorry, could you could you clarify what exactly you mean? As in, uh, the moment you make the income to live off of it. Yeah. 
takes longer than probably any other creative yeah um well that that is true because um unlike most markets that are out there so for instance if i'm to compare to the um financial markets or the fashion industry or the tech industry people know what they want in um, those industries and it's pretty much objective as um, compared to art where people are looking and people have to stumble up um, upon what they find interesting to be able to endorse it and then you know keep on patronizing it so um, for the art markets you have to really um, find a target audience that is suited for you and that is ready to not only um, patronize your work once but to continuously keep on coming and that is Um, kind of like the burden on artists right. so um i mean i have i have a completely different take on that because um the relationship between actually um gaining an income through your art and um actually being an artist that to me being free to express yourself and um, kind of you know contrast each other so um i'm more of um i think my perspective has made it easier on me because i don't I'm trying not to see um, my artistic journey as a career, a career journey where I'm trying to, you know, seriously build an income from, but rather um, as a journey to freely express myself and mm-hmm. wait for the right people to come. So if I am blessed enough to get people who keep on patronizing me, like collectors and um, basically art fans, then I can build a career out of that because um, I've tried both ways, um, I think pretty much last year. And the way that paved the way, um, the way most for me or made me grow was the part of just doing what you want, doing it freely, but also not relying on it financially so that you can, you will not be affected by their sure. current trends and everything, but just do so to you. So, yeah. 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 I like that. I, I think that is really important because it's being financially stressed or strained. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it puts a strain on the creativity and, and yeah. at some yeah. point you stop being creative as you are and start to do all kinds of things just to, you know, exactly make ends. And I've been there as well. It's, it's quite it's quite damaging for um I'll say the artists because yeah. there are lots of trends and trends that's coming and go out. So if you're basing your art on just that you're just going to be in a space where you just keep on changing anything and you're not going to be, um, you know, honing in on one um, particular style you could have, you know, progressed in and become great at. So it's just, you know, a lot of changes and nothing really stable for you to build an audience upon even. So yeah. it's just, yeah. I know, I know. Mm-hmm. Could, could you could you tell, could you kind of, I know we're, we're a bit of a student here, could you ex- yeah. tell us and explain to us what what is art? Yeah, what exactly? what is considered? Considered, yeah. So I think art. I think this question is the question artists dread the most because <laughs> that there's there's never a definition for art. But to me, I'll say art is freedom, and art is the ability to express. Because um, at the end of the day, um, as human beings, we we are able to probably say how we feel, so display how we feel. So if I'm angry. I'll just probably cast you out or I'll just um, show that I'm angry through my facial expressions or whatever. But for an artist, um, I mean, artists in different forms. So if I'm going to take music, for instance, which is the art form that a majority of people relate to, um, musicians have the ability to use their lyrics and their beats and their music, basically, to be able to um, express how they feel. 
-hmm. And relating that to art, especially visual artists, um, we have the ability to um, display how we are feeling or display visually a message that we want to put out there for people to relate to. So to me, art is basically the power to express whatever you're feeling freely. And for people to communicate a message or to express how you're feeling about something in a certain point in time. Yeah, I like that. Good explanation. <laughs> so could, could you take us to your, your journey in art? Uh, where did it start? And uh, t t give us a bit of a, um, a throwback on yeah, that. Um... Well, I've been an artist pretty much my whole life. So um, the earliest time I can remember drawing was, I think it was homework and um, we're supposed to draw, that, that was and when I was about six years old or something. We were supposed to draw a human being and I had no idea because at six years old, I, I didn't even know, I could barely make out what, what the hand was. Like I was just freestanding at that point. So I was just wondering what could I put together to actually visually depict a human being on paper. So obviously I went to my parents to try and help me out. And funny enough, that day I think we learned about shapes. So um, basic shapes, triangles, circle, rectangle, square and everything. And, and they were basically like, you know, before you did it, you were drawing your shapes. So put the shapes together and make a human being. So at that point, it was quite interesting to me how I could put things together to, you know, create another form or another structure. And I did it. Obviously, it was horrible. I think I, ha I have the picture somewhere, but <laughs> it was horrible. <laughs> it was really bad. But again, it showed um, what I was trying to do. So from there, I was always trying to depict things um, visually mm. or put things together to be able to form a structure. And I'll say it really picked up um, in throughout primary school. I was always drawing or always, you know, sketching somewhere instead of listening in class or something. And um, teachers realized that so they used, um, I think the good thing is that they used my ability to be able to, um, you know, do other things. For example, drawing the diagrams for exam papers, um, drawing or designing posters or whatever, or drawing pieces of posters for events or something. So I picked up from then in high school was my turning point where I did um, the IGCSE and the IB. So um, with the IGCSE, I got my actual um like step into art and education into art to see what this whole art world is about um how i can fully fully like qualify my understanding in art and it was good because at that point we were taught how to seriously draw talk about the different forms of media and everything although we're not allowed to um, fully um use any kind of thing because again we're being examined so there were there were requirements for um what we're supposed to do so it was mostly pencil and everything but again i'm grateful for that because once you are good in pencil mm -hmm. your your boundaries your boundaries are limitless so um after that i did the ib so that was um probably the most stressful course i've ever done in my life was this uh, in ghana yeah what was this was this in ghana or in uk yeah this was in ghana i basically okay. grew in, um, grew up in ghana my whole life basically lived there okay um right i just moved to the uk for university and I progressed from there oh, so nice. my home is ghana basically i'm right. just you know freestyling here okay <laughs> but um in the ib period 
that was when I did art at a higher level, so you could choose to do it, do it at a standard level or a higher level. Mm-hmm. And with a higher level, you are, it basically goes really in because you're not just learning how to draw or how to paint, but you're learning the background behind you know, a painting. So if you see a painting of mine, what is the literature behind it? Mm-hmm. What is the history behind it? Why did you choose this material instead of this material? Mm-hmm. And although it was really good, it was really a burden because at that point I just chose us to avoid other subjects so instead of doing maybe biology or something I wanted to do arts so that I don't see as learning and still get the same credits for um, to be able to progress into university so it was kind of like a leisure subject for me but again I chose it to be able to express myself to be able to paint to be able to relieve myself from stress but the learning aspects was there heavily so I don't know. I don't know who I was fooling, but at that, at that point, I just ended up learning about art mm-hmm. and the history behind art. And for that point, at that point, it really pushed me into actually analyzing my pieces and putting meaning behind my work. Because for for each art piece, you basically had to research three artists who who were um, inspiring your work. So you could you went from having an idea, then finding three artists that had a similar style or inspired your idea. Mm-hmm. and bring together all the objects and everything that inspired um, what you were thinking about and then finally I mean all throughout this process you're documenting everything and then you finally create the art piece and you know write about why why you chose to use acrylic paint instead of oil paint why you chose to use this color why you chose to use a woman why you chose to use um, some certain symbols in your work or whatever explain it in like an essay so i think that those are the longest essays i wrote and in total i think my final essays were, were like fifteen thousand words or whatever and after today through university and everything i've not done a work that is that long so, so so did you enjoy it did you enjoy doing it on the on a higher level or did you wish you actually went um, for the uh for the lower or the regular level of art oh no actually I, um, I'm happy I went for it at a higher level because, as I said, I wouldn't have wanted to do anything at a higher level. Okay. And looking at it um, practically, I wasn't ready to even study anything at a higher level. <laughs> However, look, <laughs> looking at it from an um, art point of view, You're low-key funny. Pardon? You're low-key funny. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I looked at it and in a way like looking at it from the art point of view i just wanted to express myself and be free on the canvas however i had to go through all the steps of documenting my work and learning the history behind um, a certain artist and why he has inspired my work so that part was a burden and the fact that i had to play my art according to the standards of the ib as well was a burden as well but again it puts you at a certain skill level that is i think if you have that background really nothing can shake you off Mm-hmm. So I went from there and started university um, where I was doing accounting. And I chose not to stay at because parental pressure, number one, of course. And um, the fact that even without the parental pressure, I didn't want to study as because of my um, history and was studying at um, high school. And it was just um, a case of I didn't want to do art for three years in university just to get a degree in art and you know, like one next. So I chose to do finance as well because I was okay. interested in finance and business and everything. I did my degree in finance and I was painting, you know, once in a while. And that's when I also created my um, gallery as well yeah. because of my whole struggle with art and everything in Ghana. Because I tried to be, I tried to experiment how to be like 
um, pursuing a career in art to see whether I actually want to take it seriously. And with my little effort, looking back, I didn't really do much. But at that time, it seemed like I was doing everything possible. And even with that, there were so many problems that I faced. So I was just thinking, imagine if I fully stepped into it, mm-hmm. what problems could I face? And I've, I've been made aware of these kind of problems. That's why I created the gallery and the um, community to be able to help artists with these problems and, you know, push them out of um, yeah. the hole of, you know, not being able to make it as an artist. Yeah. So I think since then, it's just been painting in and out and the pandemic really changed everything. Like, if I can confidently say that if everything went just as um, it did in the pandemic, I'll probably, you know, be pursuing art full time and everything. But, you know, other interest and yeah, reality, so. So, so really, why painting? Because could have done drawings or probably, um, I don't know, do yeah, other that, forms of question. drawings, but why painting? Mm, I'll say painting was one of the art forms that I did in, in high school. God, that seems and so that hard, though. Painting is... It seem, painting seems so difficult, sophisticated. I mean, it's um, it's hard. Yeah, to an extent, but at the same time, I mean, there are, there are a lot more art forms that are way more difficult. Nah. For example, I'm I'm not I'm not even shy to say my weaknesses, but using oil paint. Up Ooh. to today, I've I have a pack of oil paint with, which I tried to use. Mm-hmm. Up to today, I don't know how to work it out. <laughs> honestly. And I tried it once and it wasn't drying up. So I was used to acrylic and with acrylic, you basically paint and it dries up within, it could dry up within like five minutes. Okay. And with oil, an hour came by, it wasn't drying up. I was like, you know, forget it. So um, it just depends on what you decide to pick up. But I chose painting again because I specialized in it in high school. Okay. And because um, I like colors really. So drawing, drawing doesn't give you the ability to express colors. That's if you're doing a mono, um, monogram drawing that is what most drawings are but again i don't limit myself so um the most the main media i use is acrylic and watercolor watercolor i don't use that much probably on my own which i don't show to people okay or um trying to get into the good thing about um high school as well was that we were forced to learn how to do art in different art forms so again that's why i'm forever grateful for the course because i had to study photography I had to study sculpting, so working with clay and everything. I had to do wire work, so that was basically using a wire mesh to create a figure. That was the hardest thing ever. But if I could go back to do it, mm-hmm. I honestly really just jump at it. So I'm really open to all ideas. Yeah. And with the way I see my eyes going as well, um, painting is just like the stepping stone because there's a lot more ways to express yourself visually. That just doesn't stick to the canvas after all we are visual artists so with anything you can see even if it's a building you know it's a way to express myself so painting is just the start yeah i see myself growing into various you know and forms of making art okay did you as well get like the history behind um the arts like with the different types of arts that you uh you got um, in high school did you get like a history where it was from like which culture it originated and all of that um not really because at the end of the day you um 
the little freedom that the course gave you was the fact that you were you had the power to choose what kind of artist you wanted to be okay so the only history you had to really learn was not necessarily about the art itself but the history behind the artists that were inspiring your work and what they were influenced by why they chose to do their works in a certain way and why is them influencing your work apart from that there wasn't any lesson that actually taught us that you know maybe this kind of art came from the you know roman you know age or whatever no there was none of that so yeah. I see. Wow. You, you're really giving us a, a good a good view of uh, what art is really. Even Donnie, I was even gonna ask him like, how do you know oil painting and stuff? <laughs> <laughs> Got me thinking like we we didn't know anything about art. Um, for those of you who just tuned in, welcome to Africa on Focus. Here is where we share our success stories. We are back in the studio, and uh, finally, we can uh, make all the interviews with our international, or let's say global Africans happen. Mm -hmm. And uh, we are talking to our very special guest who goes by the name of, uh, I almost said Kwesi Adom, uh, which is his name, (laughs) founder of Adom Squared, a collective uh, and gallery aimed to promote, uh, I call it artisans. I'm going to check with him in a bit if that is the right word even for it. Um, but we are exploring the world of African artists and why this industry seems to be so much undervalued. Um, and what is the value that we end up uh, missing? We are talking uh, about that with him. If you just tuned in on Facebook, welcome, welcome. Uh, don't leave the page, leave that video screen on. And uh, feel free to share it around because the conversations that happen here are very relevant, especially to uh, uh, Africans all around the world. If you tuned in via YouTube, uh, don't forget to subscribe, comment. If you have a question, I am going to make sure that I uh, find that and ask uh, ask our special guest uh, your questions. In the meantime, I also want to give a shout out to Gary, who says, glad to see you back at the studio. Just like you, I'm finally back. (laughs) (laughs) Also, a shout out to Cyril Ajako, who says, hello, I'm watching from Suriname. Uh, Shout out to you. Suriname, man, I never knew uh, our show uh, reaches that that way. But uh, definitely a shout out to you. Um, Kwesi, uh, I know that you know you, you, you gave us an idea of how your journey was. Uh, obviously, you're a freestyler there in, uh, in UK. So we're, we definitely see this is a temporary mode. Home mm-hmm. is Ghana to you. Um, mm-hmm. could, you, could you tell me, first and foremost, the word artisan, is that, is that correct to, um, uh, to call you an artisan? Or is that something that is totally not relevant to you? Um, I'll be honest with you. I have no idea what that word means. <laughs> I have I have an idea of what it could mean. That is probably someone who um invests or um picks up the arts or work and works with the arts. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's the most I can think of. But yeah. don't hold me to it. So yeah. yeah, it seems that it is defined as a worker in skill trade, especially one that involves making things by hand. So, um, hand-woven textiles, painted uh, ceramics, ceramics. What's the word for it? Ceramics. Ceramic. Ceramic. <laughs> and leather goods. Oh. So, what is that? Is that relevant to, to to someone like you? Yeah, actually, because as I said, um, visual art encompasses everything. Yeah. And as long as you can see it, and as long as you are able to translate your spirits through whatever you are creating for another person to identify. You have achieved your goal. So um, 
textile, ceramics, leather work and, and everything. Yeah. It's in probably in the twenty first um, century and in twenty twenty one, some of the most powerful forms of visual arts. Mm. And um I, with this it's mostly in the fashion industry. So um even if you look at leather work, we can look at most of the luxury um bag um brands that we have here, so Louis Vuitton and Gucci or um YSL or Hermes or whatever. It's all leather. Mm-hmm. But um, they make their statement through the way they are able to craft their work and through the time and the quality and the craftsmanship. And um, obviously, there's the hype and the you know branding behind this, but that's all part of why they are artists in you know that aspect. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's really important to me, and it's just another mode of expressing myself. So once I'm able to again, it's it's more skilled um, in terms of, for example, with leather work or with ceramics, you have to actually learn. You know, break down the um, what makes up, you know, maybe a ceramic pot or what you have to put together to make um, make a duffel bag or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to, you know, gain the skills to be able to succeed, succeed in creating something visually from that. But I believe once I'm able to learn that again, it's a, just another way of expressing myself. So it's as mm-hmm. important. Yeah. Nice. Love that. Absolutely love that. So could you tell us about your uh, gallery? Because it's it's there for a reason. It's there not just for yourself. You know, it's, yeah. it's also there for other uh, artists. Could you tell us um, why your gallery is here and what seems to be, uh, I don't know if undervalued is the right word, but what seems to be missing for uh, African artists and black arts, art, black arts in general? Okay. Um, so I created my gallery as I said, because of the struggles I was having being a fake full-time artist. Um, but at that time, I think I really, I created I created a series of works, which obviously were not good because again, I was young and I didn't have much exposure to a lot of things. And this was, this was um, right after high school. But again, my high school works were good, but my, um, the work I created after was not up to par. And I wanted people to patronize it, so um, I was I was really lucky to find this person who was who was like you know what, I'm going to share your work and you know speak to some people and they'll be able to put it in this hotel and that hotel. So as a young artist who has you not know, put much effort into it, I was thinking, wait, this must be easy. Mm-hmm. So you know, to be able to have my work in some of the best hotels in Ghana, it was like wow. Like seriously, that that is a big thing, yeah. and the time came for you know me to actually speak to the guy, and you know first call he doesn't pick up, second call he doesn't pick up, and he continues, and okay we don't hear from this guy anymore, and it's like okay, what's actually happening? And from then up to today, never heard from him, and so that that was just left hanging, and then. I visited the, the, this an art center in Ghana, which basically hundreds of artists. Uh, it's like a marketplace, right. but where every artist has their store. And I just went visited there, walked through, and you see so many artists that are like. At that point, I was seeing them like me, so that are creating works. But obviously, they were creating better works than I was. Yeah. So walking through the scene literally amazing pieces the work that you actually see in the hotels as opposed to what i thought i could be in a hotel and 
they are selling it for you know five Ghana cities and at that time five Ghana cities was, was about a pound mm-hmm. one pound so i'm just thinking if you and how my works i was trying to value them up to about 300 Ghana cities so that was about <laughs> about six pounds <laughs> but i'm thinking wait it's either i got this wrong or something must be happening to you guys because that's a, this doesn't make sense right so i go from store to store everybody is just like crazy works from ranging from a let's say a zero sizes to a four sizes like big yeah. small everything um port you have clay works you have wire works like basically heaven for us but it wasn't a gallery it was a marketplace mm-hmm. and this place has been there for ages and people just come there to you know make sales for the day and go back home and it's repetitive basically a marketplace so i saw this and i was like wait for me to have gotten up to do my work my bad work looking back trust me it's bad and to value it at 300 Ghana cities for these people to be skilled and to be doing this much this good work for mm-hmm. five Ghana cities first of all they are undervalued second of all they don't have the exposure and third of all yeah i don't think they themselves know the um the true value the true value of what they are doing yeah. because boy they, these were actually really good works so I went back on at home and I was thinking, first of all, it's not fair. And second of all, I don't want to be the, the guy who promises them that their work is going to be in the hotel. Because again, um, I thought their works deserve to be in the hotel. So yeah. I went back and sat down, started thinking. And at that time, what was funny is that um, since I was young, I was always the guy who was like, you know, I don't want to go to school. Um, I don't see the point of learning, you know, all these algebra and everything. When we're going to use addition and multiplication in the workplace. Right. So I was just like, you know what? I want to find a way to make... Back then, funny enough, it was money-driven. So I was, I was like, I want to find a way to make money without actually working. So I the idea of the gallery came about. And that's the age where social media was literally about to pick up. So... um i created a gallery and my mindset behind that was that basically you post the work promote the work and um you have to you get to a level where you gather a community and for someone's work to be on your page they have to pay you a certain amount so i did it for free obviously because i was starting i did it for free for a long time yeah so i was just posting and i think that was like the best time i could um best thing i could have done anyway because doing the freely meant that was literally took passion to do it so i kept putting in the passion and posting the works and you know doing everything from there and um it got to a point um i'll say i was really lucky as well really blessed because i created um the gallery at the same time where i think nigerian hyper-realistic artists and uh, um, african artists in general were getting more recognition anyway yeah so um there was a period where there was a hashtag i don't know if you heard of it but we are nigerian creatives I, I might have seen it come and pass. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that hashtag really blew up. And it was by th- this one guy um, who also basically did the same thing that I did. But he, he does it on Twitter as well. So he was smart enough to create a hashtag, which literally blew and took artists from point A to wow. So um, again, I was working within that period and my job as a promoter was to be able to take the artist's work from their page, put it on my page and take it to a different audience. 
And because yeah. we're all growing with the boom of, you know, artists in Africa and everything, my page grew as well because I was basically posting the works that sure. the artists were making. So again, it was just growing and up to today, I'm grateful for that because we, I still have the connections with those artists as well. And, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to if I contacted them now where they are big and it's like, you know, they are not going to reply to my DM or something, but we created that connection. We promoted the works. We kept on working together and for them, it was, it was amazing, an amazing period where they are getting recognized by people from all sorts of, all walks of life. Mm. And for my page as well, different opportunities are coming. So I was thinking, how can I diversify my community and gallery to be able to actually benefit the artists I'm working with more than promotion? So at that point, money was out of my mind because it was working without money. So that was no point. So um kept on push, putting it out there. And it got to the point where people were now coming to um, get commissions done or to want to buy works or something. So yeah. when I got to that point, I was like, wait, wait, what's actually happening? And that is why up to today, I still stick with the motive of if you are going to do it for money, you might as well not do it because art, art is not like the correct markets to you know be motivated by money. Honestly, I've done it before. There was a point throughout my journey where I said, okay, I'm going to charge people for posting i did it for about a week i, I just said now nah, because i made money throughout that week honestly but the number of people who are actually ready to pay for you to promote their work were almost nothing so mm-hmm. i just stopped i was like you know what let me just focus on helping artists so you know different points in time i was getting commission for artists um where somebody in let's say the uk or let's say germany or something will message our gallery and be like okay we want a portrait of this or that you know, want to buy this work, or, or we saw this work on your page, how can we get a print or something? Mm-hmm. And they tell me, I basically tell the artist in Nigeria, which was most of the time in Ghana, that, okay, this person is interested in your work, how are we going to work it out? At that point, I wasn't even taking a commission. The only um, percentage, percentage I took was to, was in the case of if I had to prepare the work. Mm-hmm. So in terms of prints, where somebody wants a print of an artist's work, I have to go and you know buy the paper, go to the printing service, frame it up, and ship it. Yeah. I, I I took the uh, money out of that and just paid artists from um, the rest. Right. So it was going really well. And um, again, I got to a point where I was like, you know, I've achieved what I wanted to achieve, but how can I scale it up more? Mm-hmm. And then life came into when you know the degree and working and everything. So it's just been at that level where okay. I promote artists, and if work comes through, I just give it to an artist. And I think, you know, it's been able to build up people's careers to a certain level where they're able to take it off from there as well. So, yeah, I'm really grateful for that, to be able to do that, yeah. You know, it sounds to me like the experience that you had um, at the marketplace, Mm -hmm. you kind of like virtualized it. So you brought that to the internet. Yeah, and the main reason behind that was also um, considering the fact that I was young. Right. Um, I had no um, resources to be able to, you know, create something, you know, in person. And even though, um, fortunately, my parents are always there to help me, ready to help me, you know, if I want to do something, they are ready to fund it, fund it as well. But it wasn't, I wasn't even in the position to be able to say, okay, mom, dad, I want like, you know, $10,000 to start a gallery or something. It was a case of, I know I'm not going to be able to build a gallery 
and I'm also, you know, going to university trying to get a degree and everything. So what can I do at this point in life for the meantime to create a platform and still help as many people as I can so that when I actually have my own resources and have the ability to, you know, utilize my resources, then we go big. So that's why so far is um, on the internet, but soon it's going to start branching out because again, the ability to you know create my own you know part for the artists as well that's coming alive so yeah yeah i was wondering there's one question that's really like a, a good one that's pending here so um what are the elements that give an artifact its worth because uh, i like that story that you shared okay you, there were there were creations where you could get like 300 cds for and you had others just you know taking other money just to survive yeah. So how, how does that even work? Because it's quite, just like you said, it's subjective. You know, yeah. it's, it's almost based on a taste or Pretty a trend. Much. And, and also opportunity because yeah. one, you have the virtual gallery that you can promote. Yeah. And therefore you can attract the um, external investors or buyers overseas who probably will pay in dollars. Meanwhile, someone who probably has better quality of art is stuck in yeah. choco and <laughs> uh, and and have to sell that for 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 three cities so yeah. what other elements kind of like give an art um, or an artifact its worth mm-hmm. um i think first of all it starts with the artist so as the artist that's why i always say um and even in general like to get on my page for instance or to get into my gallery or to be featured your work has to be good and that's mm-hmm. that's like the bottom line and because of the subjective nature of art, a lot of people, you know, have a difficulty in classing what is good and what is bad. But I think it's very clear to most of us when you see a good art piece or you see a bad one. So, um, first of all, your work has to be good. And I'm able to say, say this because I've been there. I've been at a stage where my work has been bad, like seriously bad. And I'm still putting it out there and I'm wondering why isn't this person patronizing my work? I've been at stages where my work has been, I wouldn't even say my work has been excellent, but it has been way better. And then people, more people are patronizing it. So um, the first step, I think, is for your work to be good. Develop your skill set, develop um, your craftsmanship and put the work together um, before you put it out there. Mm-hmm. And after that, you have, you have to believe in your, your craft. Honestly, you, you have to believe in your source because no, no one in the art market is going to believe for you. If anything, the art market is really like harsh on all these things because no one is going to come come up to you and say, you know, you, your work is good. Yeah. And again, I've I've, I've experienced a lot to, like throughout my journey. So with, for instance, with the way I paint, there are some works where um, I can intentionally, let's say, um, make a figure disproportionate. And to somebody, it's like, bro, why couldn't you just draw the person the right way? So I've had works where, you know, maybe the face is bigger than the body or whatever. And I'm like, that's how I want to do it. But until you defend yourself and say, that's how I actually want to do it, people are just going to criticize the work and say, that's not how a human being looks. So stand behind the work, believe in your source and just, you know, take it from there and say that, okay, if I wanted to draw, for example, um. Well, throughout my art career, I'm sure it's, it's evident in my works. Um, I've studied women. Why? Because simply they are more interesting. They have more features than men. And men are just like a piece of wood. So I chose to do women because 
they just show more and they show it in a better way. Yeah. So, if I, pardon? I said yes. <laughs> oh, okay. You yeah, so um, <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm drawing a woman, and there was a point in my life where I was doing um, nude figure studies to be able to actually learn how to draw a human being. So, for someone like me, I, it's like I know how to draw a human being. I've learned how to draw a human being academically as well. So, if I choose to draw a woman and maybe her right boob is significantly <laughs> bigger than her left boob, I don't need you to tell me that, you know, my work is not good. And to you, it may not be good, but at the same time, I'm creating my work for whoever wants to relate to it. And that's the beauty about the subjectivity with art, is that, you know, it's open to anyone to actually, you know, speak to and to relate to. So that is me believing in, believing in the fact that my work is good and that there's something I want to push out there. And if you don't get it, you don't get it. If you do, you do. Mm-hmm. Another thing is... Um, grabbing the right opportunities that come your way. Because again, art is a market. And like any marketplace that operates, you have to make use of your network. You have to make use of any opportunity that comes. And you have to be humble as well. Because at the end of the day, no one is going to patronize your work if you think you're the biggest and the, you know, the best in the whole field. And although I just said, have confidence in work. Yeah, have confidence in work, but don't, don't you know, be cocky about it. Because again, until well, forever, we are always learning and we are always in the mode of learning and trying to better ourselves. So if you're in a situation, be the most humble person in the room just to learn from the experience. You know, take all the criticisms and everything just to learn from the experience. Yeah. And then um, take it back to your studio and see how you can, you know, make yourself better as an artist. Um, another thing that is, um, I mean, a lot of people don't believe in it, but I think it's realist basically luck and when you find yourself because there are numerous artists that if they were in for instance in the united states yeah. they will be on like virgil abloh level and yeah. you know there's also the fact that if virgil abloh was in ghana he probably wouldn't be who is virgil you wouldn't hear about him <laughs> so um it's just depending on what, where you find yourself but again it's using your resources to be able to you know maximize what you're supposed to do as an artist and that's what artists as well to be able to pick up you know, different things, express the message you want to express visually and still communicate to people. Mm-hmm. And I've had I've had this um, talk with a lot of people with um, my gallery, for instance, because um, a lot of people come to me saying they need materials for, you know, to be able to paint and that, they need this, they need that. And all, sometimes I've been looking into, you know, providing these materials for them, but um, I remember speaking to somebody about this and it was basically like, to be a true artist, you have to use literally whatever you have so if it's if you literally have sand you have to use it to be able to create yourself um, whatever visually people have used blood people have used water mm-hmm. to create um, art pieces and communicate their message so again use any resource to again boost the value of your work up and i'll say the last thing is branding because um, i remember I, I spoke to one of the artists i look up to it's called west good wall and um, i looked um I spoke to him and he was basically like, you know, at the end of the day, you have to realize that you're dealing with art. Although it's very subjective, but anybody can tell when art is fake. And what I mean by that is that you can look at, at an artwork, you can look at artwork A, A you don't feel anything, you be like, oh, so you can look at two artworks, for instance, where there's a woman sitting down. Artwork A doesn't show you anything, you, you don't get anything, you just say, oh, a woman is sitting down. And artwork B, you look at it and she speaks to you saying, you know, 
that's how I feel. I'm, I'm really angry about my situation, or you feel very sad about you know why she's sitting there or something. Mm -hmm. And basically, behind every artwork, there's literally a spirit behind every artwork. And to be able to portray that spirit, first of all, I always say this: that um, to have the ability to um, portray your spirit through an artwork visually for other people to relate or to speak to other people's spirits is mm -hmm. um it's a it's something you shouldn't take for granted mm -hmm. so if you are you know pursuing art or the arts um, pursuing a career in the art field you have to remember this and remember that you have the ability to you know portray your spirit so don't take it for granted and try and portray trends for people to buy it mm -hmm. you, you actually have this power not a lot of people have this the power so i'm sure i'm sure you've been to um, art galleries where you've seen works and you've just been like, oh, okay and you've probably seen it working you're like wait what is this why am i and you even get to a point you are probably asking yourself why am i looking at this mm -hmm. it's not it's not because you know the artist used red in this place so you're interested in red no it's because yeah something is communicating to you the artist is communicating to you and once artists are true to themselves to be able to put put out their spirit yes. honestly i'm i've not seen my, um, many artists that have you know put out their true spirit and i feel that an art career never I, I can't even think of any literally if you follow the money i'm telling you it's not good so just be authentic put, put your true self out there be humble develop your skills and remember why you are doing this and again you don't even need to value on your work people respect your work honestly they will come to you no. right so you're saying there is so much more beyond um what we can see in art and you refer to that okay. as the spirit of the the artist or the artisan yeah how so, does um, how does someone develop a skill or um yeah the skill set to to portray this as you're saying you find it lacking within your reach i mean there there're not many um art um arts that you look at and can feel or have this sense of spirit how does someone um yeah equip themselves to actually to be able to do this because as far as i know every artist every true artist is trying to do that however mm -hmm. it's dependent on um literally how you feel or for what purpose you actually doing the art and if you do it in the right way everyone will look at the painting experience the same thing however you know sometimes most people will not even recognize what is um what you're trying to portray um portray just maybe one person and that one person that's where the luck comes in one person sees it and actually perfectly understands what's going on here or is intrigued by what's seen but so is there actually a way to influence um your yeah your skill set in portraying that spirit of an art that you're talking about into um someone's yeah artwork yeah um, so i believe that everybody has the ability to do that and for instance um i may be wrong but see that you guys have a radio show it's your way of doing it you um maybe you maybe you could um portray your spirit visually maybe you could do it musically but you are in a radio you know studio for a reason right and again you are there at this yeah there at this point in time because you are literally the best person to do that and i'm sure you you know you've taken time to become 
um, as good as you are right now or to um you know put your all into what you're doing right now and it's good well it's going good it's going great and for an artist it's just basically doing that in their visual form so everybody has the ability to express everybody has emotion mm -hmm. so as long as you can you know say that okay instead of being when i'm angry instead of shouting i'm going to you know get a canvas okay. and throw a print on it as simple as that you have you you have the ability to you know portray your anger through throwing paint on a canvas now that is a different form of art that is abstract art and you know that relates to different people so um again and um, you said something but i'd just like to say about the um right way of doing things there's no right way of doing something okay that's why um art is as subjective as it is because you could literally paint and draw a square and five out of ten people would think it's a triangle honestly that and that that is the beauty of art because mm -hmm. people interpret things differently yes and people get different messages out of different things so i could um I mean, I've I've done a number of works where I I just in curiosity ask people, what do you actually think of this work? What did you get from this work? Yeah. And I ask I ask about three people and they are like, wait, the answers that I've been given is like, I did not think of this when I was doing this. So like, where are you getting this from? And it's like, honestly, the reason why you are even telling me or the meaning that you are telling me lies behind the artwork seems more interesting than. You know what i actually did the artwork so, <laughs> so i mean as long as you are able to give me a meaning yeah. say, okay it actually it makes you feel this way okay i mean that that is the point of it and you are only going to achieve that level of expression if you paint from the heart i've done works where i literally just painted to the trend i didn't like it people didn't like it so it's like why did i do that a waste of canvas actually so it's like okay and I've done works here. And funny enough, my most successful works are the works that have no relation to trend or like, it's like, I'm just doing it. Yeah. Mm. And it's like, people are like, oh, wow, this stands out. Wow, I like this. No, this means so much. And it's like, okay. So it's just, it's just like, yeah. put yourself in a position where you're just painting from your heart. You know, even if you, you think it doesn't make sense. That's why I said, do not approach your craft from the market point of view. Because you're always going to do what the people want. And when you do what the people want, you're going to find out that they don't want it. Because, again, it, because it's so subjective, they could come back and tell you, that, oh, I don't feel anything. And you're just left there. You've wasted time, mm -hmm. money, resources. So yeah. just do it from the heart. Even if no one patronizes it, yeah. you, know, you can probably hang it in your room and look at it every day. I have, I have most of my paintings are with me. Sometimes I'm just going to stare at it because it's like, wow. Yeah. Like, not because it's good or anything, but a painting could take me to a time. Like most of the paintings I did um, during the pandemic, because I'm doing it um, based on how I feel, it takes me back to the time of the pandemic just to yeah. remind me of everything that was going on. And to another person, it will remind them of something else. So it's just, again, painting from the heart yeah. will take you far. Yeah. Yeah. I think that counts. Um, I know. I know you. You are speaking as a artisan, if I can call you that. <laughs> but I think it it counts for everybody in creative. I think what you just yeah. said. Um, musicians should understand this or should grasp this. Um, mm -hmm. What any person in arts, the arts, should mm -hmm. should be able to uh, tap into what you what you just said. Um, you know, don't let the trend actually decide for your 
creative thing, yeah. uh, thing. um I it like could that. inspire you but not you know decide what you are going to do or yeah. you know completely turn around what your ideas yeah i like that uh so what's next for Kwesia Dome? uh almost almost wrapping up our uh, conversation with uh with the one who has made it clear what art is and the relevance of it for uh for africans as a whole what what's next for you um so right now um again as i said i'm planning to go back into um creating more right. um also focus focusing on my um, career in finance as well and just progressing through the ranks but um art wise it is mostly creating creating on a bigger scale Mm -hmm. um creating from um in the way that is not necessarily traditional so you know moving more away from painting to put things together and you know researching more as to how i can put the different things together to be able to keep on expressing myself um in terms of my art gallery again more action is coming in terms of um more discussions with artists more education more provision of like resources or grants or something and just basically expanding the base of how we could support artists yeah and yeah right right and um what do you think before we round up um what's your hope for for ghana in terms of art because one 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 of the things is that you know here because we're based in amsterdam here in europe there's funding for art um, they take it quite serious in the sense that they they feel that you know once they promote um, the arts that come from the soil, you know it it helps the branding of the of the nation basically among mm -hmm. one of the things. Yeah. And um, then also we have discussed many topics where uh, of looted arts, you know. Um, African creations that stand in the museum here, like they cost, or I think they do cost mm -hmm. over 500,000 euros, mm -hmm. uh, you know, wondering why isn't the art <laughs> that is on African soil like this? Um, with that said, um, what are your hopes for um, the, the arts in uh, coming from Ghana? Okay. Um, first of all, I'll look at it from the point of view of the market. So as compared to the West, so let's say America, Europe, and you know the UK. Yeah. Um, more people are ready to patronize arts because you know they want to be involved in the artist. Mm -hmm. They could simply like the work, or they are collectors. So um, they have a motive to keep patronizing the work for an artist's career to be built yeah like on a solid ground and you have um you also have the artists that is the more commercial artists that have done whatever they want to do express themselves like wholeheartedly they found their audience and their audience keeps on coming to them mm -hmm. and in ghana first of all the stereotype is that okay you're not going to make money in art anyway so people are not seriously venturing into artists only recently that you know more artists are coming up and more art ventures are coming up which is, is a really good thing yeah um for example we have the no door re uh, residency as well which, which has just, just come up right. um you know connecting different artists to different you know collectors and galleries and putting artists on the spot to be able to create you have more artists that are actually you know getting the confidence to stand out and say you know 
art is not, you know, a traditional career in Ghana, but I'm going to, you know, mm-hmm. create a path for myself to actually let it stand out. So um, in terms of hope, I believe um, that there's seriously a future for um, art in Ghana, and it's really starting to pick up. Um, most The most thing I'll be concerned about will be maybe the direction in which it could head to, because at the end of the day, most of the things that we start, especially for art, because I believe like the normal African artist um, finds success in basically creating a work being discovered and you know going to europe to exhibit and i don't know what what happens from there mm-hmm. so you have most most artists that start as start out in ghana get a little big and then you know the white man comes and it's like okay we are taking your work to europe and that that is great and i i mean if that happened to me you'll find me in europe also exhibiting yeah. but it's like okay what happens after that what value do, do they bring to us because it seems to be a repetition of history of okay they take the work from here. We we happily also go there to exhibit the work and what happens, maybe it stays there, never comes back home and okay, it becomes a story of looting, but it's like, mm-hmm. okay, they, we we all partook in it and we all took it there. Well, apart from the works that were blatantly, you know, stolen. And um, it's a continuous cycle of, okay, we start out, start out as an artist, we wait for, you know, the international level to recognize us and we're done and then there's no contribution back into the Ghanaian art society yeah so you have every artist really starting from the ground yeah making it and then you know you probably never hear of them or it's, it's almost as if they just go silent sure. so it's like what's actually happening to the artists that actually you know go to america europe to exhibit and it's like yeah. well it's, there's only up to today there's only one artist in african and i don't know if you've heard of him and mm-hmm. He has exhibited in Europe, America. It's like right now, I think it's, it's he just had a, an exhibition in Coachella as well, like the um, area where they have Coachella, and it's like mm-hmm. he's doing bits. But he he is one artist I can confidently say you are not you are not taken out of Ghana, honestly, because he works with the local people. He works in his and where he's from, I think, and he works with the local people. He works with basically everyone to be able to form his artworks because his artworks are basically made from gallons mm-hmm. like you know the, the uh, yellow gallons and everything and he puts them together to you know make maybe a sheet yeah. or a building or something so again he's working with the people mm-hmm. but for most artists you go to europe you go to america and that's the end of it so taking me for instance if i'm to come up as an artist i'm literally starting from the bottom and i go mm-hmm. next artist starting from the bottom so there's no platform or structure to yeah basically help artists or there's no like organization to be able to you know put artists in a certain art field and of course the government's not helping us at all because there are more important areas to focus on like yeah. you know food and water and like yeah you know basic um, human um, necessities sure. so from the government point of view no one is looking at the arts mm-hmm. after all the artists you know especially in ghana is a small group of people who endorse the arts, which is basically the super rich. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you don't hear about them. And it's funny because I've been I've been in scenarios where I've been in the midst of them and it's like they have their own meetups and their own clubs and everything. It's a whole so scene. to be able to get into that circle yeah. and actually show your work is one thing. And for your work to be actually good enough and liked by them to be um, purchased or endorsed is another thing. Yeah. And 90% of artists in Africa don't have this. So, again, that's another thing I'm, I'm working on, to be able to bridge the gap mm-hmm. and not, again, um, and also define success in our own way as um, Ghanaians because not every 
the success story doesn't have to be you know being picked up in Europe or being picked up in America. Yeah. Or it doesn't have to be you know having to have an exhibition where you know mm-hmm. thousands of people come and sip champagne and you know don't give you any um, accolades after that. Yeah. And that's the end of the artist journey. I'm thinking of a way of defining a new form of success where we can literally create commercial art out of most of the um, artists yeah. that are coming up. And also, you know, contribu- actually contribute to their lives. Starts. Yeah. Got it. Well, thank you very much, uh, Kwesi, for um, giving us okay. all of those perspectives. Yeah. I think it really um, uh, gives us a better idea of how the art world is now, you know, in, uh, in, in, in Ghana uh, specifically. Mm-hmm. And also uh, what you do on such a lean scale to um, make the needed connections happen and i hope with uh, people like you that could mean um, a a turnaround in the industry uh, where a lot of people could be able to monetize it and also be able to um i i I call it quite an invincible (laughs) invincible thing that could help brand ghana as a whole absolutely Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, we right. can Thank find you very much for having me on the show as well. Most yeah, welcome. <laughs> for all of you out there, if you are interested to follow uh, Kwesi Adom, make sure that you follow him on Instagram. Um, there you can find him. What, what's your name on Instagram? Yeah, it's just Kwesi underscore Adom. And, yeah. and the, the gallery? Gallery is Adom squared underscore art. Right, right. And then you have several other businesses. You are a true hustler. Plus, you are in finance. Man, man, you definitely refuse to, to be the broke artist. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Kwesi. We'll be catching up and, of course, uh, staying in touch with you and your ventures so that, you know, in, uh, let's say, a couple of months' time, we will have you back on the show to give us a, an update on uh, yeah, what's going be good. on in the yeah. world. Right. All right. Have a good day. All right. Thank you All right. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Well, that was a good conversation, a good lengthy conversation. Yeah. It was almost yeah. like podcast, you know, where you could just focus on the conversation. Right. Basically. <laughs> Time for music. Um, we are going to go on and to discuss our usual news flash. You know what's going on in our world. Uh, you are listening to Africa on Focus. A shout out to everybody who took the time out to listen. Mm-hmm. Today, uh, we discuss how can we monetize uh, the art coming from African soil. With that said, we had our special guest, Kwesi Adom. And now we're moving on to the next session. But I think it's time for some music. Let's unwind. Uh, let's listen to uh, um, Mpikwa with his record called Vioeti. And, um, and we'll be right back. It's uh, it's me and Donnie. You dig. Studio, <laughs> And uh, we are making sure that we bring in all of the uh, stories that surround Africa and so much more. Shout out to Mensa Gary, who also took the time out to also listen to us on... Um, on instagram for the first time i just got my instagram live on i don't know why i do that but i'll just randomly do that so that people could engage in the conversation um anyway welcome back 
connect to Africa and focus where we share our success stories. Mm -hmm. Myself and Donnie on your stereo. <laughs> We're streaming live uh, from High Radio, which is Amsterdam's most dynamic satellite and digital radio station that promotes African culture to Africans in the diasporas. If you are tuning in from Facebook, um, make sure that you like and follow our page to stay informed because we have sets of different uh, interactive and whoop, uh, interesting shows that you should definitely uh, catch up with. And if you're tuning in on YouTube, uh, be sure to subscribe and comment and, and all of that. And if you have questions and remarks, do share uh, wherever you are streaming live from. We would love, love, love to hear from you uh, wherever you are uh, in this in this world. Mm -hmm. um, before we go ahead and finally talk about this a news flash, I would like you to know Africa and Focus is made possible by by Austin, which is elevating your brand. Are you looking for ways to elevate your personal company or organization brand? By Austin is a brand and communications company that helps you to strategize all of that. Um, so make sure that you find them on www.byaustin.com. Also, another who has made this possible is Be Artist, is a web hosting and graphics platform. So if you're looking for website, full service, or just designed, Be Artist is the platform that you can find. And while you're at it, they'll probably also make you a logo and all of that to uh, ensure that your digital space looks nice and flashy. Africa on Focus airs every Sunday uh, from 7 p.m. Amsterdam time, and uh, we we make sure that we get the conversations going that drive our world global africans all around the world that's really what uh what it is uh man uh donnie what's been going on <laughs> um <laughs> where do we even start a lot where do we start where do we start uh so let's start with uh the netherlands oh man what's been going on so the netherlands though we are still in <laughs> In curfew and on uh, lockdown mode and all of that, the the Dutch are actually looking to still, um, let's say, do their regular stuff as they would be doing without um, COVID. Right. So that includes holidays and as well as festivals. Right. Um, this week or last week, there there have been tests on how to safely um, still go on holidays, travel. And also how to safely, uh, um, yeah, um, have a festival. Right, man. So how does that work? Because I did read about, uh, like, they do test groups. Yeah. So they do they run a particular type of pilot, I guess. Yeah. And uh, a limited group go and do the partying, but then within this new setting. Yeah. So, yeah. Exactly. Exactly okay. like they were you saying it. So that's how they conducted these uh, these tests. Yeah. Uh, for the vacation as well as for the festivals, namely for the festivals. So they partnered up with the uh, an organize, uh, organization or one of the events planners and they took, let's say, a space where normally they would do one of the large festivals. And yeah. just like in quarantine, as they have these regulations that only two people allowed within a certain yeah. amount of space. Yeah. They apply the same rule for for a festival. So a festival that would normally have, let's say, forty thousand people, only two thousand were allowed, right. and um, that's how they conducted the festival. And uh, um, after that, also collected the results on from 
um, the people who went to the festivals and how they experienced Man. it. So that was interesting. Yep. Man, and they call it Back to Life Dutch says <laughs> how to have a party like it's 2019. Exactly. Man, right. that's everybody's wishful thinking. I mean, uh, a series of test events have been held over the past two months to see whether venues can reopen safely uh, before the end of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, where, when is the end of the pandemic even? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the eight corona-proof <laughs> events licensed by the government, including concerts, theater performances, uh, football matches, and two music festivals that brought the pilot for uh, to a close last weekend. Mm-hmm. And Lauren uh, Comito went to one of them to get a first-hand look. Uh, so basically it is, and it was quite a lot because in pre-corona times, this fairground in Biddinghuizen East uh, mm-hmm. of Amsterdam was home to the uh, 55,000 strong Lowlands Festival, which is like one of uh, Holland's largest festivals. Yep. But this past Sunday, it was a festival light <laughs> uh, with about 1,500 people spread out across two stages and a smattering of food trucks. Man, I haven't seen videos yet, but I can just imagine how excited, um, yeah. um, you know, Dutch people are. Because, man, when it comes to festivals and yep. outdoor events, the Dutch don't play. No, 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 they no, don't. no, at all. That's their thing. Like festivals is one of the Holy things grip. that yeah that we <laughs> love doing out here. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And there, there. It, it's even people's concern. One of the top questions was like, "What are we going to do with you know coming festival time?" Because yeah. uh, last year was pretty much no uh, nothing none non existent no. non existent. So let's just see how that plays out. The mm-hmm. same thing they did for vacay. Yes. <laughs> a test group and they signed up for a Greek island, uh, which is uh, so a Dutch travel firm uh, takes about 200 people for an eight day mm-hmm. holiday Greece aimed at seeing if tourism is feasible during the COVID-19 pandemic. And those picked will have an all-inclusive uh, getaway on the island of Rhodes at a cost of 399 euros, which is uh, probably like 344 pounds mm-hmm. or 472 dollars per person. But there are some catches. They will not be allowed to leave the resort and will have to quarantine for up to 10 days when they return home. At least 25,000 people have yeah. signed up for the government-backed experience. Man, the thirst is real. <laughs> <laughs> Can you help it? I mean, this has been over a year of probably no traveling, no va- uh, vacation. Officially. For, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, you know, they're, they're just, they're waiting on any, just the slightest opportunity, even, even if it's an experiment. So, right. <laughs> and it's quite cheap. I mean, three ninety nine. Right. That's you would cheap. think that is expensive, but that's actually the regular and including, including hotel and everything yeah. resort. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a good price. It is a good price. And I bet it's including the testing as well. I think COVID is. testing. So I think it is. People, I, I think that people just long to be the guinea pig for this. <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> if there's a catch? The catch is they have to take the vaccine. Yeah, yeah, that could be it. That could be it. <laughs> that would... <laughs> I, I, I bet people, people wouldn't mind either. They wouldn't mind. Oh, that reminds me. You were supposed to say something this weekend. About what? About you and your testing. You, oh, I mean, and your vaccine. Oh, if I'm going to take it or not. Yeah, you said, I'll tell you about it next week on the show. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, I thought about it. So, um, okay. The thought is I might take it. I'm going to take it. You know why? 
because the Dutch are slow on it anyway. Okay, since, so okay, yeah. Because <laughs> since the time that you remember, we discussed how UK started, and they were already they were already up above Millions, ten million yeah. vaccinations. Yeah. And in the meantime, we have seen what four types of vaccines like, tested and disqualified and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. So by the time Holland catches up. I think yeah. that I would have made up my mind by then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think uh, so. I have no suspicions of it being a, a mark of the beast, right. you know, and all of those things. So <laughs> the oh, only concern why was... Why not anymore? Uh, never. Never had okay. I thought that. I just I, I just thought of the te- technology and science behind it. It just didn't make sense mm-hmm. because this is fluid. Why is that Too a mark? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I, I think... Well, that's a whole other topic. It's, right. it's it's right when we don't expect it at all. Actually, yeah. um, but hey, that's uh, that's for it is for what it is. Holland is very slow with this vaccination. Um, so so I mean, bad. I think now the older people are getting it. Yeah, I, still, I and, and uh, they're not even. I think they just passed halfway, so yeah. they they're so slow on things. Yeah, really slow, really slow. Yeah. Um, I think I, I I do remember one person's comment saying, "You know what? Uh, I would have liked for this whole quarantine thing to be in stages rather mm-hmm. than back and forth on what we're doing." You know, UK is really with working yeah. with stages yeah. and stuff like that. I think they're even discussing after a vaccination that people can travel lifting the travel ban and so forth they rather prefer that yeah. than is like then having hopes up and then going into yeah. a lockdown yeah. and then back and forth and it reminds me of another thing actually uh, it remind me of um i think in one uh one one topic was that um i think uh, slim is mentioning something about my mic one topic was it had to do with intercultural differences, mm-hmm. you know, and um, uh, they were presenting a particular case and they always said the Dutch, you know, are really hands on with their time yep. and, and yep. things on like that. But they compared it to, let's say, within the whole organization, the way Chinese work, the way Spanish works, such and such. Okay. And they said, even though the Dutch are known to be efficient, you know, on with their time mm. when it comes to project management mm. they tend to speedily go for it but they end up going um, back to different tasks whereby uh, their whole process is blast. not as consistent but they keep mm. going back and it takes longer mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. and i never looked at it that way i was like no they're really mm. efficient i mean you know they they know there are roads and stuff like that mm. dutch people know how to but looking at that and looking the way this whole quarantine is being great. taken um you could see they have a perspective on things you know fast paced do this but we end up going back and and switching and things like that so uh, it's not always the best no and i think i think um where that mainly comes from is the fact that they're they're continuously looking for improvement areas right or um when it comes to like this 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 politic uh thing they're continually continuously looking for areas to cut costs or to make it more efficient yeah. in costs right yeah. so that when you when you do it you have a plan however because you figure out another plan yeah. that will cut that cost you now you have to jump or switch over to so that is also time consuming or yeah. you know so, so that that actually um, results in you, um, it's taken uh, longer. However, in the end, yeah. they will 
fa- um, let's say they will save some some money. Yeah. Which is, I think, one of their priorities. One of their priorities, man. That's let's definitely save money. We, let's if save can, money. If we can save money, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's yeah. I think that's this, really the, this whole thing about the vaccine is actually about money. It is. Right. It is. So where they they can actually buy in a bunch of uh, uh vaccines and have that on stock. I followed one of their debates in the in the House of uh, in the in the Parliament. It was about, yeah, but what if? Uh, what if uh, isn't it better to have a system where the vaccine we have zero on store on stock or in storage and just everything that comes in is um, directly going to. Uh, so keeping stock is expensive. That's what they're saying. That's what they were saying, Man. right? Because dealing with the Pfizer vaccine that has to be uh, uh, stored at. Minus yeah. um, 70 deg- um, degrees Celsius, right? Yeah. That costs money. Yeah. So for them, it, it was like, no, let's have, a, let's create this system where it comes in and goes. But then on the other hand, what if a week or two weeks comes up and then Visor cannot provide vaccines? Now you have nothing to actually give. Yeah. So that was the whole debate. Oh, um, man. And see where we are? Like, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it's it's all about that that cost thing. That money is it's like the e- either the one or the number one or number two right. on the priorities when it comes to um, projects and when it comes to everything. Yeah, man, man. Well, we'll we'll definitely keep an eye on that and see how April is gonna, you know, um, whether the vaccine is really gonna be a thing. Yeah, man, yeah. We'll yeah, just yeah, wait yeah. it out. We we'll just wait it out. Uh, next one is one. Uh, I read the header and I was like, man, black graduates shut out of academic science and technology careers. Could that be the reason why um, black people are just not represented in the tech industry? I wonder. Royal Society report shows that white students twice as likely as black students to achieve top STEM degrees. Man, it's quite alarming because uh, in this time, it's, it's, it's very important that these industries have... Mm. That, that we're also there because that's where the money resides. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Talented black graduates are being shut out of academic careers in science and technology. According to the president of the Royal Society, who appealed to the scientific community to improve access, white students were twice as likely as black students to graduate from uh, degrees in science, technologies, engineering, and maths, which is uh, STEM, S-T-E-M subjects, with first-class honors in 2018 to 2019, whereas black students were three times more likely to leave with a third. Uh, Black students also had higher dropout rates, um, which is, to be precise, precise, 4.7% for black undergraduates compared with 27 for their white peers. Mm -hmm. Um, This this is, of course, a um, UK-based... The numbers are UK-based, but I'm sure you could just roughly draw it over the rest of um, Europe. Yeah, yeah, Europe, yes. Uh, If you go to the States, I think it's uh, it's a totally different uh, um, ballgame or totally different, uh, let's say... Because uh, the demography is different, and, and over there you actually find, um, like looking at Silicon Valley, you find a lot of Asians, so Chinese and as well as Indians, uh, oh, big man. in tech. So there you you won't find <laughs> that many African American people within uh, within the. Uh, no. And it's areas. important. It's it is important, important that we're there. That's the future. It's the future. It's the future. I mean, finance has been there. Health is there. Uh, politics is there. But tech, when we talk about technology, oh, information, 
um engineering engineering is even past now but the that that is the future and you would oh, want man. as we on the verge of this future or this new age i think we have to we step should. in it like like no mercy just go in all of we us should. um th- th- that this actually brings up the thought that um because as far as i know they should actually make um computer programming a mandatory um let's say subject or course right. uh right. within our high school uh if not here ghana should have it yeah within their high school uh, curriculum like just computer programming 101 how to uh, make a website how to codify an app or like those things these are like because you will find jobs in especially in the time of uh, covid yeah job the area that's actually booming finance and as well as um it yeah because you have to Absolutely. create yeah you have to create these platforms you have to create these um um, um uh these translation uh, um translators where this system can trans con- safely communicate with that system all of that that's where the the the, the work or that yeah it really is yeah. so as a as a community or uh, as a country having an academic curriculum if you're not spending if you're not if you don't provide the space for this um to be given to let's say our future generations so the kids or yeah. um today's generation then they'll find themselves doing a course in university and then yeah. also end up with no job yeah so now they have to go and uh, do a career switch mm-hmm. so I have to go to another uni for uh, uh, spend another four years or five years into learning something that will guarantee them a job however or in that process you've also um um uh, uh, summoned an amount of student debt that is also oh, going man. to uh, keep you uh, yeah this this really deserves attention yeah. uh, like you said graduates of pakistani heritage at the largest largest percentage <laughs> returns from attending university yeah. out of any ethnic group and like i said it's there um there's a reason for it it's their thing but they also think of the future yeah. you know they also think of um because uh, i think their population growth is also very large i think it comes after china yeah i remember se- seeing some some of sort statistics yeah. and they are thinking about their future you know what i mean um yep. so this is something that we should really uh really look into another thing i think is interesting was that overall the report estimated that two thirds of all graduates are better off as a result of going to university with all social economic and ethnic groups benefiting on average um jack britton uh, associate director at the institute of fiscal studies which produced the report said among students from the poorest families uh, a few get rich as a result of getting a degree yeah. however going to the university is still an especially good financial decision for these students so one reason regrettably is that earnings project uh, pro- uh, prospects for these groups are otherwise quite low yeah. so this is um yeah this is Um we should take note and and come up with an action plan yeah. and and think um think ahead you know and also find ways of how to make this interesting uh stem for specifically black students uh once they make that decision to you know specialize in a particular area yeah definitely mm-hmm. very much so yeah thanks for sharing that well man this stolen assets tell me about this this is crazy i even i even told me i t- i even told my mom about that she was like hmm 
<laughs> if you don't know the politician oh. oh man the stories about our african leaders i think um we've heard albums about it songs <laughs> about it you know what i mean uh what what's happening there could you share with me um so one of the so the university of Aberdeen. yeah um is going to let's say return a looted nigerian bronze sculpture um this is from the city of Benin in 1897. Um, British soldiers took back home to um, to Scotland right. uh, a, a bronze sculpture. Mm-hmm. And now, in, in today's age, um, they are going to return it. All right. So this is a topic that we have had or an article that we've kind of like seen this recent, this last year, we've seen that happening from the netherlands the dutch had to yeah. bring back a stool or something like that back to ghana and we have also seen um other um let's say um examples of that yeah but one thing that we keep on discussing is one is is it going to be safer mm-hmm. when it goes back home that's a good How, are question. they going to secure it and two are they going to profit economically from it of it um, so one of my my friends had this also in his um, WhatsApp status where he said um, that there's no point in giving this back to Benin, right? Because it's not it's not money that they can actually use to restore their their country. And and no. on the on the show we already discussed that it's even I made a point that it's all about ownership, right? If African um, countries can take ownership, which you can, and have it still located. Then that's fine. I mean, it's not necessarily something that they have to come to Africa to visit and see. It will, yes, probably maybe if um, have an effect on tourism. However, if 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 it's if you better off keeping it here um, or in the University of Aberdeen and they're actually paying Benin City right. um, for this, let's say, on a lease, right, or they're hiring it, um, this, for their exposure, then that's way much better. But there's somehow this feeling that they have to take it back, they have to bring it back, which is understandable because Africans have been pushing, putting pressure on them. And today's culture um, is also, there's this whole... Um, um, th- ethics that is actually going around saying that hey these are stolen goods and after 200 years or after 150 years yeah. you should give it back mm-hmm. but yeah now it's like what do we need more exactly. do we need economic empowerment do we need money or do we actually need return items yeah do return we need items, that? yeah so that's 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 what's going on with this uh, uh, uh with my thoughts on, yeah. on this pretty much what I, what I would, you know, um, I, I don't know. I have to check the articles that I've read, but it will be good, you know, if government, um, we did share it actually in our news flash that government has put on a group of uh, people, experts in the arts, yeah. you know, to uh, provide consultation, you know, yes. and a range of, of things. I, I think that having this set of team does empower, um, you know, government and whatever as as it relates to what to do with these items yeah because yeah 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 no definitely yeah. and there is there there is still a f- way forward to make it uh profitable for both parties absolutely um even though 
the the latter part or the first party so in this case the university of Aberdeen yeah um doesn't have any rightful um let's say ownership of yeah. it since they actually stole it right mm-hmm. um but still there is still a middle ground there to yeah. be found where it can be of their interest because maybe they actually still want to keep it yeah right they just given it back because of what is being said or and because of how it looks now that they don't want to have a stolen item yeah however if they can sit down and um, by computing such teams or yeah. who uh, provide let's say consultation on bo- on both parties yeah then more countries who are uh, within the western world who have more of these artifacts can actually yeah. find hey okay let's do it this way where we benefit exactly. from it as well as as exactly. you so it does it's not so this is how you actually cure the a bad history yeah right so then in 200 years from now we can say okay though they came in and stole it however 200 years later mm-hmm. in 2020 they this is they sat down with uh with benin with sat down with the african countries and these are the artifacts still yeah. on on display by these two powers so, so and and that's actually a be- more beautiful story than give it back and now it's in benin and exactly. no one is now actually what? now what? no one is going for it <laughs> And that, that would be a sad and song. now it's priceless because it's here if you yeah. give it and bring it take it back who's actually going to fight because the people there are not waiting for an artifact to come they're <laughs> like, not what Let, are they let's going be to honest i mean theirs? when you're hungry the first thing that is on your mind is the where the money resides <laughs> <laughs> not not where our artifacts or no what's our culture. no sir <laughs> oh that, that would have been an interesting question actually to ask the uh, crazy uh, right adam um so he he uh, he indicated that he has some of his own paintings at yeah. home, right? Where he yeah. just um, stares at them. Yeah. And a question would be, would it would they have been of more value if you were actually able to sell them? To sell them here, where he's at now, or sell them to anyone who is actually willing to pay a lot, a fortune for it. Yeah. Right. And I would, I would, that would have been an interesting. Uh, that would be. We should um, keep that one, man. Yeah. For next time when he comes. <laughs> <laughs> or DM it to him. Hey, how do you think about that? Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, in the meantime, I just want to give a shout out to a few people. Uh, Gary, shout out to you for checking at, for checking in on this yeah. show. Have have taken four vaccines already. Oh, man, Gary, you need to, you need to come on this show and tell <laughs> about how this experience was. Because I need to know the side effects uh, and everything, uh, all of that included. Um, also shout out to Nanakwesi. Oh, it's been a long time. How have you been? How are you doing? Uh, basically he's saying, uh, we need it. Uh, we need it back. It's good for tourism. Mm-hmm. It is still valuable. We need it back. And I think you are referred, referring to the looted, uh, uh artifacts that we were, uh, talking about. Uh, thanks so much for, uh, in- interacting with us. Almost uh, done with Africa in focus, but before we round it up, I would really like to, um, you know what? Let's save the politicians one for next time yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. that is going. That alone is a discussion. Yeah. That is so discussion worthy. Um <laughs> 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 uh, man, um, here on Africa in focus, we've had um, so much, so many interesting guests. Uh, we've even had, um, let's just say, uh, a production company or illustrators that have produced a book, a book. A book, a book. And that is uh, Bala, which is uh, The Secret of the Source. And this includes a lot of um, African tales. It's for children. And it includes um, 
children's book like uh, Anansi the Spider. This one, what does it say uh, here? Anansi the Spider, another one. The, the Unicorn of the Blue Nile. Unicorn of the Blue Nile. And the other one is the... The gold, the golden stool of Ashanti. The golden stool of of the Ashanti, yes. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. And Anansi the spider. Anansi the spider. We had them on the show uh, here because we really wanted to discuss the importance of uh, sharing African tales, and uh, African tales having our children to know some of the stories that you know we we grew up with and uh, that are worth sharing. We know, I mean, we know the Disney stories like Cinderella and stuff like that, and there are other stories from Africa that are worth. Uh, um, knowing i know the book looks a very um dreamy you know it's uh, you even said it looks what was it jehovah witness <laughs> no that's just for jokes people because it's a lot of anim it's animated yeah. that, that's the right word yeah. and uh, we're doing a giveaway the giveaway is still going strong next week we will announce uh the winner and um you can simply win by uh, commenting uh tell us which is your uh favorite african teal it could be a general one that you grew up with yeah. uh it could be one that you heard before or one that you uh recently discovered and you have an opportunity to win this book we have one in dutch translation we have one in english translation so depending on what your native uh language is we will give you one so that you could have a win and um that you could read it to maybe a, a, a child yeah. or uh, your kids and everything this is really important you know, it's a bit of uh, the history that should still, you know, live on and move on uh, strong uh, within our homes, within African, uh, among African people. And um, Nanekwesi is saying, Okumfu uh, Anoche, commanding golden stool from the sky. Uh, that one, is that your favorite one? I love that. I love that. We're definitely going to take uh, it into consideration. Next week, we are going to uh, announce the winner. And uh, the winner has the opportunity. Let me also share it with the, the people here on Instagram. You have the opportunity to win this special book, uh, which is called the Bala, the Secret, Secret of the Source. And that is a children's book that, you know, is all about uh, African tales and all that. So uh, make sure that you share with us your favorite African tale, and we are going to uh, give you a, a book and send it to uh, you wherever you are in the Netherlands. Yes. Let me just put it that way. We'll try Europe, UK. I know it's been borders are closed in terms of shipping, but you know whatever. Uh, all right. So uh, African focus, man. Um, what what are you up to this week, Donny? Um, this week. Um, have some decisions to make, important uh, career decisions to make. All right. So that's this week, and also finish the this book. And I have I have a couple of books that I want to read next. Right. But yeah, I have to decide on because I I read one book at a time, yeah. and I refuse to pick up the next book if I'm re still reading. Which which is good because you need to have the focus. Yep. You know. Yeah. And and some some books you just pick and then you're like, oh, why did I even start reading this book? <laughs> so that's where the discipline comes in. Hey, I have right. to finish this book. So yeah. for me, even before starting to read this book, I need like that goal. Okay, what am I reading this book for? And that always helps me get through a book, no matter how thick it is. Sure. So yeah, I have to uh, decide on the next book uh, to read, uh, which I'll also announce on this. <laughs> I'll also announce here and also probably give you guys yeah, um, why I am reading that book next. Yeah, 
Yep. Please do. Please do. We would love to really hear uh, about that. Shout out to uh, Amisoko, darling. Um, thank you so much for tuning into the show. Welcome to Africa on Focus. We mm-hmm. air uh, every Sunday from 7 p.m. CET live from the city of Amsterdam. You can see it. We're back in studio mode. We now have the opportunity to take on the conversations from the studio. Yeah, feels good to be back. Yeah, feels good to be back. The last year has been really good. We have met people, man. We have met people yep. who has made us laugh, who have inspired us, who have challenged our thinking, uh, caused us to read different books and so much more. Um, Africa in Focus is a show that is there to highlight our success stories, connecting global Africans from wherever we are in the world. If you missed an episode, feel free to find it and track it back on our Facebook page and on YouTube, which is at High Radio NL. Also stream Africa in Focus, the podcast, where you can uh, solely listen to the conversations that are worth uh, replaying uh, on Africa in Focus, on uh, Aftown, Spotify, your Apple Music, Anchor, everywhere you can uh, listen to myself and Donnie, and where we have engaged with special guests from the likes of uh, Denta Mwateng, mm-hmm. uh, from the likes of Eddie Kadi, um, Dr. Charles Ajemai, even that one will be uh, coming on this week where we talk about uh, the truths uh, surrounding uh, COVID and, of course, our community, what we should really uh, look at. Uh, Hi Radio, this is the voice of the next generation. We're tuning off and um, next week we'll be catching you again where we're going to have more of the conversations uh, that, you know, you get Africa. Just just the conversations that we need to know. Make sure that you follow me on Instagram at ms.aba. Also follow me on your Facebook and everything and uh, let's keep in touch. We're ending off with one of my fave songs, which is uh, T-Babs, who is uh, logging on, by the way, collaborating with Angelo with their record for sure. We air live every Sunday on High Radio from 7 p.m. Amsterdam time. Join the Africa Unfocused platform on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Africa Unfocused or visit www.africaunfocused.com. And follow me on all your social platforms, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Miss. Shout out to High Radio and Q Vibe for the jingle.